This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. You all know what we pay uh, for our cell phones in Canada. It's outrageous. I've never figured this out. I would love to do hours of of radio. Give me a 20-part podcast series. Give me anything that answers the question why you, me, those neighbors that differ on what we're going to get to in a little bit, why we pay what we pay for cell phone service, for data, for gigabytes, for roaming. That number's going up. <laughs> and I experienced this when I traveled. And this is the problem because they know that when some yutz like me starts talking about, and when we were in the Caribbean, our roaming charge, you don't want to hear that if you're struggling putting food on your table or gas in the car or figuring out how you're going to pay uh, your first year university students rent. Uh, next September. That's only two grand a month. What's the big deal? But starting March 8th, that's six days from now, TELUS will charge customers $14 a day when they roam on their devices in the United States, $16 a day when they do it internationally. I never remember ever it, it being that high before. And when I've had friends come over here, they don't even give their roaming a second thought. So what makes us so unique? Nothing from uh, the big uh, red and black company with the R and the S at the R at the beginning, and the S at the end. But why won't they? Why won't they? Right now, it's twelve dollars to roam in the United States and fifteen dollars internationally. There's two issues here. One, we have never figured out how to lower our mobile wireless plans. We've never figured this out, and I get it. This is also the problem with people saying, "Well, let the government run it." The government may not have your best interests at heart at any level when it comes to lowering your cell phone costs. The big companies would prefer that the costs went up, not down. That seems fairly obvious to me. But when you look at worldwide rates, it's crazy. It ends up being quite crazy what we end up paying. Let me give you an example. In North America, and by the way, more competition is good in the United States. Somehow, some way, they figured it out in the U.S., the average price of one gigabyte of mobile data in the United States is $3.36. Now, that's above the global average. The global average is $3.12 U.S. In the States, $3.36. Us people, $5.94 U.S. It's almost double. So I get it. And hey, we're a big country. It costs a lot to call. But fine. Then, then you need to find a way when we're using mobile data to make the distinction. If I live in, in, if I'm calling from downtown Toronto and I call somebody in Burlington, you need to make that distinction like long distance used to be that it's different when I call somebody in Fort McMurray, Alberta. Okay. But the fact that they flatten the rate out ends up pooching us big time. Let me say that again. It's $5.94 American is our data. It's three thirty-six in the United States, let alone the idea of going like Italy. Italy is 43 cents a gigabyte. I have no idea why. Israel is 11 cents a gigabyte. No idea why. And Canada is sitting there at a huge, huge price. High cost for data. So is that Bell, Rogers, and Telus working together, conspiring against us? I'm not a tinfoil hat guy. You know that. But there's something to this. This isn't just about geography. Here's the other factor as well, let me bring up, that makes it really, really troublesome. You have to use your phone more when you travel. Airlines demand it. The airport demanded it with the ArriveCan app. 
But now when you check into hotels, they demanded, put our app on. That's how you'll check in or out. That's how you'll keep track of the activities happening. And again, nobody, I sound like unfrozen caveman lawyer complaining. And then there was a resort fee charged on my phone. I couldn't believe it when I was sucking back my Ryan Coke at the patio bar or at the Tiki bar. You, I, I get it. That's going to fall on deaf ears. But it is money coming out of our pockets. It makes traveling more difficult. And we're forced to use our phones more. I often liken this to how um, bands have a tough time touring across Canada. And they don't come to Canada unless it's a quick dip into Toronto and Montreal, maybe in Ottawa. But getting in a van or even on a bus and, and going all across Canada is not like traveling in Europe. You could play 12 venues within an hour and a half long drive in Europe that would span all of Canada west to east. And you'd get the same customers and you can charge them more because you're not and you're making more money because you're not paying as much for gas or to travel or for hotels. You can go back and sleep in your own bed at night. It makes no sense. This is oft, often like the uh, the travel you'll see with, um, a, you know, like a Western Conference NHL team versus a team in Philadelphia. Where you go play New York, you're in your own bed at night. Go play the other New York team, same thing. New Jersey, same thing. Washington, same thing. And if you are in Edmonton, you're never getting home on time. Anyway, it's really, really frustrating. I don't know the solution, but I'm going to tell you our show is going to try and look into this a little bit more. Why are the prices so high? And I also get it's not going to become some massive federal election issue. Hell, we're just trying to make sure our elections are done without foreign interference. So I don't expect any of the leaders to... Uh, bang the lectern and and uh, and and make a promise about lowering the uh, the roaming rates uh, when you're sitting in the Bahamas. I don't think that's coming anytime soon. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're talking about what happened at the uh, Halton District School Board meeting in Burlington last night. I didn't mean to say Burlington was in your backyard, but I, west <laughs> is west and east is east. Oh, it's all the same to you. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I could, okay. I, we I, all I, look the same and it's all the I, same. No, just, uh, <laughs> just the area. It's just a geographical issue. Um, but yeah, it's the, the New York Post kind of busted a lot of this open, didn't they, with... Uh, photos of Kayla Lemieux with uh, with a coffee meeting um, that the reporter we had uh, Jack Morf- Morfitt on last week from the New York Post sat down with um, Kayla Lemieux. Look, I know there's people that are going to say um, the media's mishandled this. The media's been like, you're not being sensitive. I'm not going to I'm going to dig in and say I think we've handled this remarkably responsibly. I think we've we've tried to give our context and opinion to all of this. And if we can't talk about issues like this, if we walk on eggshells around issues like this and are afraid to give opinion, we're not. This is all about education, too. We're not being great role models for our kids. Exactly. Like we're making our kids afraid to talk about things and we should own what we get wrong. We should realize when we've um, got a got a, a flaw or we, we, we've just got sort of a how would I put it? A, a blind spot on on terms of issues of being progressive but i'm not sure what i'm not sure that that's what this is i think this was front and center i think when you and i talked about this in the fall sheba we said you just have to have a policy that requires teachers have a element of professionalism and and an element of appropriateism to their appearance that's it that's exactly it so here's what the board is saying the board is saying that they they don't disagree with that but right now they're in teacher negotiations so everything is frozen (laughs) they can't introduce that yes so this is what curtis ennis who is a board chair director of education education. yes so this is what he kept repeating as often he was being heckled and interrupted um there was a woman sitting behind me who was quite loud, and at one point she tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, let's call her Karen. 
off the top of my head, okay? Okay. So Karen tapped me on the shoulder. She said, it's great to see people like you here. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and I, I knew right away what she meant. And she said, um, you know, and she's just kind of like put her finger in my face and said, uh, you know what I mean? People that look like you. We don't often have people that look like you. It's great to have your support here. And I just kind of smiled at her and said, oh, how many kids do you have in the HDSP? She's like, oh, none, none. But she was one of the loudest people there. So, I mean, there's that for you. There's stories like that. Then there were parents who were actually, there was one man who got up. He's got several kids in the HDSP, um, Milo. And he's a lawyer. So there was a lot of legalese when he spoke. Mm -hmm. He was very neutral. He was very careful about his words. But really the focus was the HDSB's professionalism policy and how it's just not specific enough. And then the superintendent, uh, Taha, who is uh, HR, mm-hmm. he kept saying human behavior is very complex. That was his focus. And it's not fair to try to enforce this suggested policy. and They have to analyze it to, to, get, to get it to its final state. So that's the HDSB's stance. Human behavior is very complex. Well, yes, of course it is. But you also have a responsibility to the kids. I, there's, you know, there's different perspectives that were there last night. Uh, but this teacher, Kayla Lemieux, is currently on administrative leave. Uh, whether she'll be coming back, I don't know. Uh, we, I spoke to another parent who's actually going to be joining the show a little bit later, mm-hmm. Lynn Perchalkovich. And sh- this is what she had to say about teaching boundaries. What I hope is that we center the rights of students above all else. That is the number one thing because we have children who are minors and they are, you know, come to school as kindergartners uh, up to grade 12 and we have a duty of care to those um, minors in our society to be able to define boundaries for them, to make it uh, so that they can have a safe learning environment that feels comfortable to them. And so there's a balance there, but we can have a dress code and we can still allow human rights to exist. They, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can coexist. So Lynn spoke at the board meeting. She was one of the speakers last night and she's going to be joining you at 730. Make her the director of education. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. <laughs> she was great. She, she, she's had two kids go through the education system at HDSB, recently graduated uh, so I, I'm looking forward to your conversation with her at 7:30. Um, and, and you brought this up in the fall, and I think we talked about this last week. What this, what this, when you allow something to progress, and I would make the case fester. Fester sounds like a negative word, and I'm using it in a negative context. What you will do is you will allow um, the, the growth of of some pretty discriminatory, hateful people into yes. the process. That's happened here. There's no question about that. 100%. And some of them were there last night. There's no question that that was allowed to develop. Like when I think about what school officials um, and and the, and the director of education have done here, um, given that there's been threats of violence, given that there's been bomb threats and, and threats that go a little more personally and deeper, have they done Have they done everything they can over seven months to prevent those or have they allowed those to grow? Look, if you and if you threaten violence, don't get me wrong, you're solely responsible. If that's if that becomes a police situation, you're the only one responsible. You can't say, well, the director of education didn't do anything, so he's also responsible. No, nah, if you're making a bomb threat, you're making a bomb threat. And you should be, you know, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But allowing this to go to get to where it was last night and for other meetings that have sort of just fell into disorder and chaos. Yes is all on the, the school board. There's a principle, like, what's a principle for? A principle is for, to me, I've always thought a principal and a vice principal, Sheba, where you you run the school, you kind of manage 
the teachers. You settle teacher-student disputes about marks or discipline or behavior. You do all that stuff or athletics. And I don't. The, this principal must just feel powerless at yes. this school for the last seven months. Yes, I actually do feel for this principal. It's uh, it's tough. And you know what? I'll say this isn't popular opinion. I do feel for Curtis Ennis. I feel like. He's got to answer to people, and I feel like his hands are tied, and I feel like he's going to be the scapegoat in this. That's that's from my observation last night. Did that change? So seeing him operate in person last night, did that? Did you yes. start to think that? Yes, I did. Just seeing him there at the fr- front and center, uh, he's in a terrible position, and he's unfortunately because of the role he's in, he's got to play both sides, and I think that he's going to absolutely be the scapegoat in this. But he's infuriated he's parents by playing both sides. That, well, uh, absolutely. I understand that. I, as a parent yeah. myself, I absolutely understand that. But, and then he's answering to people on the board as well, on his board. So it's it's a really messy situation. It was a messy meeting, uh, very disruptive, but it was one of the better ones from what I heard from previous meetings. I think being an educator is, is as hard as it's ever been, and some people will bristle at that. But I think be, because there are – I think there's market corrections that have needed to be made with with equity there's no doubt about that there's there's issues that have have had to be um dealt with 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 um diversity but parents still also want teach my kid to read write mm-hmm. do math do science socialize be you know get get involved in athletics and drama and music and everything and um i think they tilt more now towards the latter balance than the former but that's me saying that that's me it's really easy for me white guy here to say Still teach the basics. That's still what you're there for. Like, take the gig. You got to take the gig seriously that your goal is to raise their academic levels more than anything else that we pay taxes for. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. If you missed the breaking Toronto municipal news this morning, it's, well, we've had more people kind of say no than yes so far to running for mayor. Uh, Mike Layton put a, uh, a tweet out, a series of tweets documenting the fact that he will remain in the private sector. He didn't run for re-election in Ward 11 in 2022. I think most people would say he had a long window and could have been a city councillor for as long as he wanted. Um, He ran three years and many people had um, predicted perhaps that he would run in 2026. Maybe he still does. Remember that we're going to have a mayor for you know, the better part of three years and, and change in a couple months and, and three years later, there's going to be a new mayoral campaign. They don't get a full four years based on all these um, progressions, if you will, over the last month. Edward Keenan is Toronto Star City columnist, and he joins us right now. You wrote about Mike Layton earlier, the sort of the uh, in the week um, last week with, with the will he won't. He. What's your reaction this morning? Well, I mean, I I think uh, as my column that I wrote earlier in the week indicated that maybe I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, NDP progressives disappointed because really, uh, as I was calling around and meeting with people and trying to get a sense of what was happening in this mayoral race, um, you know, the sort of center and center right had a lot of activity. Anna Bailao, Brad Bradford, uh, maybe Mark Saunders, um, and others sort of testing the waters. Uh, but but you know, the sort of the left progressive lane. Uh, a lot of people had put a lot of stock in the idea that Mike Layton was going to be their best hope, and we're really pressuring him to go. But I think he, like his best friend Joe Cressy, uh, like right-wing counselor, former counselor Denzel Minnan Wong, mm-hmm. um, is is pretty sincere in saying, 
you know what, I got young kids and I'm not going to get these years back. And there's just not a way I can see to be a good mayor and also be a good dad. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm not particularly surprised, but I think it leaves a, lo- a lot of um, his political allies uh, without a candidate right now and kind of just looking around and saying, well, what do we do? I think you and I expect Josh Matlow to run. Would Josh Matlow and Mike Layton have, have very much split votes from, from the same wings, if you will? They, they might well have. And it's, it's an interesting, for us civilians, it's an interesting split here because I think Josh Matlow uh, often winds up on the same side of issues as Mike Layton, uh, getting up and making long speeches, articulating very similar principles. Uh, and yet the people at City Hall didn't see like Josh Matlow as part of their team. He's a fiercely kind of independent guy. Um, what, what political ties he has are to the Liberal Party rather than the NDP. But, but I do think that in the eyes of most voters, uh, they're championing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's possible that in an actual race among in which us civilians get to vote rather than political organizers, that Josh Matlow winds up being stronger for that independence, for that lack of ties to the, the kind of establishment left, right, which, uh, you know, for better or for worse, gets, gets a bad name among a lot of people. Um, it's so strange because you've got the the U.S. lens. Um, I, I lived there for 10 years and you and I know that almost every I think it's almost impossible to run a municipality and especially a big city and and not be considered more uh, a progressive because you have to spend on infrastructure that the province or the state in the U.S. and certainly the federal government can walk away from or get away with. So like like of the 50 biggest um, cities in the United States, 48 have Democratic mayors. That's almost always the way a New York and L.A., a Washington, a Chicago is, is going to go. Um, we don't seem to have that lens like we're talking about lefty righty um, Doug Ford's foray into commentary on who should be the mayor was 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 similar to that as well why don't we have that lens well and it, it's more transparent and obvious in the united states uh where they have party politics at the municipal level and like in their presidential elections they have you know president they have pri- party primaries right where the democrats choose one candidate the Republicans choose another candidate. Um, and as you say, even in almost every big city, and not just like Los Angeles and New York, but even even in Republican states. Oh, Dallas, uh, right? Dallas, know, Texas, San Antonio. Or, yeah. uh, George, Atlanta, right? Um, uh, almost every major city winds up with a Democrat mayor. And, you know, as you say, it's like the issues that touch people's lives, you, you can't download to anybody else. You have to deal with mm-hmm. them, whether that's homelessness or whatever. Um but but also I think I think like you you become the catch all for those frontline social issues because big cities are where most people live and and where most social problems are experienced um, and and so you you got to confront them directly and that maybe leads to you know the le- the more abstract things are the more you can just say well I'm not spending the money on it it's somebody else's problem. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, as you say, in Toronto, we don't have a formal political system. And so, you know, we have kind of a history of of electing, you know, center-right mayors. I mean, Rob Ford was maybe more mm-hmm. right-right. 
but e- even stretching back into the old city of Toronto with June Rollins and Art Eggleton and uh, e- even David Crombie, who's famously remembered as a progressive, was a progressive conservative at the time, right? So, mm-hmm. so for a long time, this has been a, a real mushy middle town uh, that maybe has leaned right at the city level while it votes uh, more left, liberal, at the provincial and federal levels. And I, I don't know if that's about to change. Ed Keenan's our guest, Toronto Star City columnist. I was commenting on um, Chicago's mayoral runoff the other day because Lori Lightfoot, their current mayor, finished third. She got universally rejected by voters. Um, She got 14 percent, but they have a runoff of the top two candidates. The top two candidates are like her Democrats. I love the idea of a runoff. I think we'd hear more about the issues. And then nobody can say after June 25th that, well, this person only got 23% of the vote. Like, that's feasible, that we could have five or six legitimate candidates. Debates are going to be a, a, a mess because nobody's going to be able to get a word in edgewise with five or six candidates. And the winner could only have, like, 23 24%. I love the idea of two candidates with the most votes running off. Yeah, I, I mean, we. I actually like that quite a lot in a, in the mayoral race. It, it works less well maybe with every single city council race, but sure. you know, we, we had a proposal here that had passed. We were on track to have ranked balloting, which is kind of an instant runoff. Mm-hmm. So at least you don't get somebody winning with 30% of the vote or whatever. Um, but, but that got sort of canned by uh, Doug Ford at the same time as the, the number of wards was shrunk. Um, and and so we're back in limbo. But I think again we're back in a situation where again we we might wind up with seven viable candidates with names you've heard of or who've held elected office before, and and you do create a situation where exactly when you ask me if Josh Matlow and and Mike Layton might have split the vote, you know, you Anna Bylaw and Brad Bradford might ask the same question. You might have Anthony Fury, a former Toronto Sun editor, running with uh, Mark Saunders as a sort of, and Blake Acton as the sort of right-wing candidates. Um, and, and those people are going to be splitting votes. And and you could mm-hmm. wind up with a perverse situation where the the... Things that the majority of people wanted lose out to to the one fringe candidate who managed to consolidate their fringe. Who who are the? I've got four that I obviously in addition to the ones you mentioned, including Anthony. There's four people prominent in city politics. I'm sure will run Anna Bylaw, Josh Matlow, Brad Bradford, and I. We had, we interviewed Mincy Hunter yesterday. I'm convinced she's running. How do you feel about her? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, Mitzi, Runner, Mitzi Hunter is giving every sign that she's very likely to run. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of getting her organizers and ducks in a row before she makes a formal announcement. Um, I, I think uh, she's an interesting candidate in that you know she has a base in Scarborough. Uh, a lot of downtown progressives would, would like the idea of the first black mayor being a woman from Scarborough. Um, I think she's got sort of generally centrist, uh, liberal kind of politics from what I can determine. But I, I do still do think she has a lot of work to do in uh, raising her profile across the entire city mm-hmm. uh, and, and finding what is her identity going to be as the mayoral candidate. What is the thing that she stands for um, that, that is not already associated with somebody else? And I'll just say for her and Saunders, uh, and Anthony Fury and and other outsiders in, in the history of this city as far back as I could trace at least to like the the 1960s. Uh, John Tory is the only mayor we've had who yeah. was not first a city councilor. 
outsiders and even federal and provincial politicians don't have a very strong history in Toronto mayoral races. So we'll see how it pans out. Things might have changed. But um, like I think, I think Missy Hunter starts mm. from a good place, but would have a lot of work to do, maybe more so than some of the the, the city hall types. Yeah, I bet you by next week we get a lot of uh, a lot more uh, uh, a, a lot more juice uh, and a lot more uh, announcements in the in the positive as opposed to the negative. And I got to leave it there. Thanks so much for the time. Love your stuff. Thanks, Greg. It's always great to talk to you. Ed Keenan in the Toronto Star. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, I like to call this the uh, Grey Wiper debate. And when you sit down and have a GWD, um, it's pretty important to uh, to listen to all sides, uh, not be uh, judgmental. I, I don't think I don't want people to go to marriage counseling over things like this. There's no uh, both sides to this. Both sides. There's only about-isms. let's. Can I use a whataboutism for wipers up or down? The great wiper debate. <laughs> well, explain it. Like, what's the inner out today? Well, I I think this is a new thing. Just would you guys agree before we do a, what we are? Is in the last like, I think it's only like the last six seven years. It's a pretty common sight to see parked cars with their wiper blades propped up. But there's an argument one way that says that does longer term wiper damage. But the idea is that your 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 wipers won't get snowed under. You're smart. You're being prepared. You're being organized, and they're not gonna. There's less scraping to do because you don't have to free your wipers from from ice and snow caked onto it when you have some some weather. That's okay. the argument. Okay, that's your argument. More For, people are doing okay, it. Right? So I just want to say that it hasn't been six or seven years that people have been raising their wiper blades I, up. I think it I don't, You've been living in a cave, evidently, Gord, would you agree? Because this has been happening for a long time. Our parents didn't do this. Stop this. You go to the, the shopping mall or the grocery store and you see sometimes when it's like a bad storm that the wiper blades are up or if it's freezing rain. That's the main one. Yes, in the last six, seven years. No, this wasn't a thing in 1986. Our parents weren't like, honey, two things you got to uh, make sure that uh, there's enough food for <laughs> okay, the hunker down for the storm and also prop those windshield wipers up. 1986 <laughs> is not six or seven years ago. Let's <laughs> true. clarify that. All right, okay? I would say this century, it's, more, it's got more popular. So I'm reading this on FarmersAlmanac.com. Propping wipers up prevents damage to the wiper motor should you turn on the ignition and you've accidentally left the wipers on and they're frozen to the windshield. That's me to a T. And then sometimes uh, I'll drive. I'll even leave because, you know, uh, Chiba, I like to get here uh, with lots of preparation time, probably an hour <laughs> and a half before the show. Gord's rolling his eyes. And uh, but sometimes I'm driving and the wipers, I've got the whole thing on high and the wipers aren't moving yet. But I'm like, they're working hard at it. Those little nutty engines inside the wipers are working and they'll free themselves sooner or later. But oh, that's goodness. really bad. Yeah. That's bad wiper maintenance on my part. So and, how often and the rubber do you replace gets damaged. your blades? Well, I don't, and oh, that's and gosh. but but I oh. want to start. I want to I want to change <laughs> for the better. Here's though, this is the other school of thought in FarmersAlmanac.com. When are they wrong? Um, leaving wipers down prevents damaging the springs inside the blade arm, discourages vandalism. I don't know what that means, and a non-issue because the defroster. Why do we have a defrost system anyway? It'll release the blades, so you don't need to prop them up and then put them back down again. So. 
There's a lot of debate about which is the correct thing to do before things get icy to protect the rubber blades. So, Sheba, are you in or out? I'm Blades out. up, blades down. Absolutely out. And I'll tell you why. Some of us who have are privileged enough to have access to garages in our homes, we have <laughs> decluttered privilege. them, we have decluttered them, we have organized them, and we park our vehicles inside the garage, So especially when there's freezing rain. So for me, I always keep them down. Yeah, sure. If I'm, it's very rare that I'll put them up for all many of the reasons that you just mentioned. So I am out on leaving your windshield wipers up. Gord, I'm so out, and I'm not one of the privileged few. You saw my driveway; it's got you don't no have garage. garage garage privilege. But I do, you know, go and warm <laughs> the car up when it's bad weather, and uh, so it does release the uh, the blade. So every time you hit the wiper fluid to get rid of the frost, you're damaging your blades. I know. Rolling yes. over I know ice. that. I know. And and a bump when it's starting to defrost. So I think it's, it's a bigger issue than I know every every um, police officer that comes on, like the the Carrie Schmitz, who are great by the way, but their big warning is, well, you got to get all the snow off the top of the car. I think yes. it's more important you get the ice off the windshield wipers. Well, you need. Well, you have a brush and a scraper for a reason, and that's to brush your car <laughs> you off. You got it. Yeah, but it's time. It's time management. It's uh, it's it's maintenance. It takes it takes effort for those of us who don't have garage privilege. You have GP. garage privilege. You just abuse it. You abuse it. There's, uh, what am I supposed <laughs> What's to? What's in your garage? I want to know. Kids, that you... kids' sleds, bikes, baseball gloves, thirty-eight soccer balls, <laughs> two hundred and sixty-two old tennis balls that I, maybe I'll serve with someday. Get one of those <laughs> roof racks for the garage. Um, are you in or out on, I, I'm, I'm doing it. And so, and so I, I thought I'd be, I'd have some company here, but I'm the only one that raises the only wiper one. blades up now. Well, that's not true because we have a Twitter poll out this morning and the majority of people are in on raising their wiper blades up. I'm, I'm oh. a 54%. I'm, I'm a white, I'm a windshield wiper truther. And I think that they damage, like I, I want to prevent damage to the motor. I think it's ba- very bad for the rubber. I've I've certainly been in the car when the wipers stop working. I think I was in one car when one just flew off. I think I installed it, it myself. Me. It flies. <laughs> it just goes suddenly to the left, and it's in the left lane, and it's gone. It's like, and it probably okay. hits another car. Like, and it, it's tur- twirling around like, uh, um, like what are those things that come back to you? It's so early in oh, the morning. Oh, a boomerang. boomerang? Yeah. It's a boomerang effect. So, <laughs> with your argument about uh, if you leave the wipers on and they're frozen, what if you if you got them up like you're doing, and you've left them on? What happens to the motor then? <laughs> It's still, it's still. Working. It looks really. You look really stupid. I think that's the worst thing possible for the wipers. It's your neighbor watching you start your car. The wipers are are up. They're not down on the windshield, and they start swinging around in the air, like okay, so like a helicopter that. propeller. It's a terrible look for everybody involved. See, last week when we had that storm, I thought about it and I put them up, and then I said, "No, I can't do it." Good. I can't do Good it. Good for you, Gord. Okay. Yeah, but he, but he doesn't have garage privilege, and you apparently do. We want photos of your uh, pristine, clean garage. You got a garage like a like a sitcom, like where the where the parents come out with the kids <laughs> and have, have a shelving. long conversation. I have shelving and hooks for all the bikes and the balls and everything else. That's why you probably got a P ninety X studio in the garage. You got enough <laughs> space and and some of that custom flooring. Uh, do you have heated floors in your no, garage? Calm down. No, it's a regular <laughs> garage. It's just organized. There's no clutter. Okay. Now, uh, our text question was uh, in or out, windshield wipers up or down the night before. Your Mr. Motor Vehicle around uh, 640 Toronto, what do you do at uh, night? I leave them down. Yeah, okay. I do, I do the windshield scrape. If I know there's going to be a significant amount of freezing rain coming the night before, I will put a garbage bag across the windshield. We didn't even use that as an option. See? You're so that's, clever. That's the way what? you do it. Then you just rip off the garbage bag and boom, you got a clear windshield.
you put a garbage bag over the windshield yeah. and kind of batten it down you, so it doesn't you, blow you away. You tuck it into the doors if you want, and uh, it won't blow what, away. What do you use, those clips that like that close off uh, no, no, potato just... chip bags? <laughs> what do you use at the ends, at the ends of the windshield? You don't have to. You just can, you poke, you, you split it so it's open, so it's oh. just one thickness, right? And then you can put it on one side of the door, close the door, and then you, you wrap it around the pillar and you put it in the other side of the door. Oh, so... Okay, but without that, like, do you think there's damage to leaving the wipers oh, yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, well, my gosh. I mean, not so much <laughs> leaving them up. I, I can't physically put them up and leave them up on my car. The wipers are tucked too far under the hood, so I, I don't even have that option. What are you point. driving? At, at Aston, uh, an Aston <laughs> no, Healy or something? No, it's just a Volkswagen. That's nothing, nothing crazy. Do you think it's damaging to the... But what about, doesn't the rubber get damaged oh, when yeah. you got to chisel them away from the windshield? Not like you're digging, digging, digging. Yeah, don't you could hit the rubber. Not necessarily. Necessarily, if, if you just if you warm up the windshield a little bit first and let it melt and oh. then hit it, you'll be all right. Okay, then you can take. Uh, listener points out you can take the if it's really raining hard, you can take the garbage bag and then wear it. Yeah, totally. After. You if can you just make like a sleeves. poncho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah totally works. I've been good. at concerts where I've needed to do that <laughs> uh, on the lawn.